Now today, we're going to conclude the series that we've been in for the month of December called Experience Christmas. You know, we've, we've talked about experiencing the peace of Christmas and experiencing the joy of Christmas and, and experiencing the presence uh, of Christmas. Next Sunday, it's kind of over with, uh, uh, to bridge the gap between the, the end of the new year, I'm going to talk to you about why I believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, not just because I was born into a Christian family, the reason that I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and we're going to talk about that uh, next Sunday. Then as Todd mentioned, January is Sanctity of Life Month. Now, I think there's 14 pictures right there. Every one of those kids goes to church here right now. Some are still babies, some are not babies, but every one of those are pictures of kids that go to church right here, right now. I have my favorites. Uh, that are up there. I love them all, but I have my favorites. I know who I think is the cutest up there and all that kind of thing. So, uh, but, but, you know, maybe that's a good thing you can look at. I think we put it in the bulletin. So if you don't normally read the bulletin, you might get one. Just look and see if you can identify who each one of those kids are. But we're going to be talking about life and sanctity of life uh, all or part of the month of January. And our very own Cassie Harris, uh, who is uh, a very important volunteer at, at Safe Harbor, uh, one of the crisis pregnancy centers in the city, uh, is going to be presenting that ministry to us on the 14th, which is the second Sunday. So you won't want to miss that Sunday. Be sure you're here on January the, uh, the 14th. So keep those things in mind. Uh, have we, uh, it's been a good 2017. A lot of wonderful things happened. We don't have time to talk about them this morning. Uh, good things are going to be happening uh, in 2018. But for this morning, Let's get back to the book of Isaiah. We've been basing uh, everything we said this month on the prophecies of the book of Isaiah. And the last one we're going to look at is maybe the best known Christmas prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, which says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we've sung about that already this morning. The words that were spoken here are spoken in the context, <clears throat> always happened to me, right, of a conversation between the prophet Isaiah and King Ahaz, king of Judah. Ahaz was uh, afraid uh, that he was going to be invaded by hostile armies. And so God's prophet Isaiah came to him with the word of God, uh, saying to him, that's not going to happen. We, I promise that the invasion is never even going to take place. And God says to King Ahaz, ask me for a sign so that I can assure you and show you that this is not going to happen. Ahaz says back uh, to God, uh, I wouldn't want to put you to the test. I'm not going to ask you for a sign. I think there must have been some hypocrisy in that answer because God wasn't real positive uh, toward the answer. But nevertheless, Isaiah comes right back to Ahaz, and he says, in effect, even though you didn't ask for a sign, God will give you one anyway. And here it is Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, these words are words about Jesus, God's Messiah. 700 years after this prophecy, when Mary gave birth to her son and laid him in a manger in Bethlehem, Matthew cited these words stating that Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 says this, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, 
and verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God has come to be with us. Now, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion about Isaiah 7:14. We don't have time to get into all of it. It's not even important. Uh, it, it's very probable that there was an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy uh, uh, at the, in the time of Ahaz. And, and we also know there's a messianic fulfillment of it because Matthew made it very clear in his gospel what we just read. And if you believe what Isaiah had to say and what Matthew had to say, you recognize that this was a special, unique, one-of-a-kind event that took place on that first Christmas a little over 2,000 years ago. You realize that Jesus is more than just a good teacher or one of God's prophets or a great religious leader. You know that he is the one-of-a-kind, absolutely unique son of God in a class all by himself. So what's so special about Jesus? Why is his birth so significant? Well, we're going to take a look at that prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, and we're going to look at three things about Jesus that make him unique. And the first one is this, he was born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That prophecy is physiologically impossible. The only way it could happen is by a miracle from God, and, and God wanted it that way. Obviously, by the way, if God can create the world from nothing, he can create a Y chromosome where it would not naturally occur, which is what God did in this case. He designed the laws of the universe. He can supersede the laws of the universe. The question is why? You know, God always has a purpose in what he does. We like to see some interesting stuff, you know, some magical stuff, uh, some miraculous stuff. But God doesn't do stuff just to be doing stuff. So why did he do this? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be born without a human father? Well, it was necessary because Jesus, God's Messiah, was more than just a man, more than just a prophet. He was God's own son. He was God in human flesh. He, uh, the father had to be his father. Joseph could not be his father. He was literally God in the flesh. And in addition to that, if Jesus had an earthly father, he would have had sin and couldn't have died for our sin. So it was essential that this first part of the prophecy takes place. Jesus's earthly life, his physical existence began in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Well, we're thinking about sanctity of human life months next week. It actually started about nine months before that in uh, Nazareth, right? And he developed, and then he was born in Bethlehem a couple thousand years ago. But that wasn't the beginning of his existence. The Bible teaches that Jesus existed before time. Jesus existed before the earth or before the universe was created. In fact, there are three things that the Bible teaches about Jesus that we don't think about a lot of times. Here they are. Number one is this. Jesus has always existed. Uh, it's even hard to talk about that. You can't even say there wasn't a time because he existed before there was time. Jesus has always existed. Number two is this. Jesus is God, not a part of God or piece of God or something like that, but Jesus is God. And number three, Jesus created the universe. Big job for a little baby, right? But Jesus 
is and did all of those things. Listen to what's written in the Gospel of John about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now stopping there for just a minute. In the beginning, the Word was. The Word was existing. The Word was already there. In other words, the Word's eternal. In the beginning, the Word was already there, already existing. And the Word was with God. That is, the eternal Word existed in relationship with the eternal Father. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is, tr is a trinity. And that's what, it, that's what we learn from, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word is God. Not just divine, not just another God, but the Word, Jesus Christ, is the very God of the universe. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. The Word has always been in relationship with the Father. As I said before, God is, is a triune existence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ did not at some point come into existence and then begin a relationship with the Father. But in eternity past, the Father, God, the Son, the Word, have always been in loving communion with each other, one God, and yet we see two persons. Both Father and Son are God, not two gods. Right? Does that blow your mind? There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. I mean, it's, hey, we're talking about God here, right? I mean, why should we think we're going to understand that completely? We're talking about God. I have to tell this story. Probably happened 15, 18 years ago when we had a large group of sunshine ladies that met in a room right up here on the corner, a corner classroom. And I would go in there and shake hands with all of them and try to look each one in the eye so I didn't get reprimanded on Sunday mornings. A couple of ladies still left in the back there. And as I was leaving one day, one of our little former Methodist ladies, we had a group of Methodist ladies, you know, that became part, joined the church during that period of time. Uh, her name was Ruth Franklin. You remember Ruth? As I turned to walk out, she said, would you, Pastor, would you explain the Trinity for, for us before you leave? I looked at her, everybody laughed, and I just walked out. You know? <laughs> How about just in the next 10 seconds explain the Trinity to us? He was in the beginning with God, in relationship with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always been together. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. We're talking about Jesus here. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, here's one of the great philosophical questions of all time. It is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Now, you say, I don't think about that. I didn't say it was something the average person thinks about. But why is there something rather than nothing? I mean, why does anything exist? Just, well, the, the Christian answer is God. That's why. God. He is eternal, and he is the creator of all things, and it was his will and his pleasure to create, and he did. Otherwise, it's pretty hard to, you know, so, so why does anything exist? 
And the Word was the agent of his creation. All creation was made by the Word in relation with the Father and the Spirit. Think about this for a minute, if you will. Jesus is God revealing himself to us. Jesus is God showing himself who he is. It started in the creation because as the creation took place and we look at the creation, we can see God in the creation. And it continued when he came to this earth and became a man and, and he showed us who God is and what God is like. And so uh, there's a lot of claims made by Jesus and for, for Jesus. These claims have not been made by any other major religious figure, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius. None of them claimed to have existed eternally. None of them claimed to be God. None of them claimed to have created the universe. And none of their followers uh, claimed that for them either. And yet both Jesus and his followers made these claims about him. Jesus said this to his followers in John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my father are one. The father and me, God, the word, we are one. And one time when one of his, one of his guys, one of the 12 guys named Philip said, well, just show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus' answer in John 14 and 9 was this, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus also said this in John 8, 58. He said to, to them, most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. You know what, that came from back in the book of Exodus, Moses was wandering around on the backside of the desert and he saw this bush on fire. Remember that story about Moses in the burning bush and he goes to have a look and God speaks to him out of the bush and tells him what he wants him to do. Go down to Egypt and, 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 and release the Israelites from slavery. And he said, well, God, when I get down there, who shall I say sent me? You know, what name shall I tell them of God sent me down here? And he said, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am is my name. In other words, I, I, existence is my name. Everything, I, I, not, he, God is not everything and everything is not God, but, but there's nothing that exists apart from him. I am. Now, when he said this, the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. You can tell that in their reaction. In John 8, 59, scripture says they took up stones to throw at him. That is, they're gonna kill him. They're gonna throw rocks at him until they beat him down and killed him. That's what they wanted to do. It's significant that Jesus was born of a virgin because it reveals to us that Jesus is more than a man. He is the eternal God in human flesh. Now here's the second thing. He was fully human. He was not only uh, fully divine, born of a virgin, fully divine, but he was fully human, completely man too. I can't, that can't be. Well, hey, we're talking about God, right? Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Even though Jesus was God, even though he existed before the world began, even though he was the creator of the universe, he left it all to become one of us. He became fully human. He was born just like all people are born. You know, he had a mama, he was born. Paul said this about Jesus. By the way, the context of this statement, Paul is saying if you wanna live for Christ, he, he, Paul says to the church at Philippi, Getting anything good out of being a Christian? Getting anything good out of God? Getting anything good about your relationship with other Christians? If you want to live for Christ, 
You have to, if you want to live for Christ, you have to live like Christ. And so he said this in Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like Christ thinks. Have the attitude that Christ had. What attitude did Christ have? <clears throat> he wasn't to give up everything for you. It wasn't all about him. He wasn't always saying, well, how's this going to affect me? <clears throat> he never said that. Wasn't easy for him either. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse six, who, here's something about him, who being in the form of God, that word form, by the way, we think of as shape, uh, but it stresses the inner reality and the essence of who Jesus was. The New International Version uh, translates this word in the very nature of God, and that's what he was, who being in very nature, God, he was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. As God, he had all the rights of deity, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise in heaven of being God. And yet he was willing to shed that for a while, pour himself out for a while, surrender his right to manifest himself visibly as the God of all splendor and all glory. And here's how he did that, verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. He, he had the form of God, the very essence and nature of God. And then he also had the very form, the very essence of being a slave, a servant, coming in the likeness of man. <clears throat> in addition to being God, he is man. And by the way, that word likeness there means that although he was human, Still a little something different about him. Number one, didn't have a human daddy. That hadn't happened since sin came into the world. And you got one, but he didn't have one. And number two, he had no sin. You have sin. He did not. So that word likeness gives room for that. And, how, and then what did he do? Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Now I'm not gonna stay there any longer, but I just want to read it one more time in a different uh, translation and then we'll move on. In the New International Version, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset set that as Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage that he sacrificed for you. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul is saying that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he didn't use his deity for his own advantage. He didn't grasp it and cling to it, but instead he surrendered it and became a man and died on the cross for you and for me. Now, interestingly, in the early days of Christianity, the first heresy about Jesus, the first false teaching about Jesus was not that he wasn't really God. And it wasn't that he really didn't exist. But the first heresy was that he wasn't really human. That he was a phantom, an emanation from God, not you know, kind of like a, 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 an image you could put your hand through. For, in, for example, he walked, but he left no footprints because he wasn't really here in a phys physical sense. Surprisingly, that took hold 
very powerful. Became a part of a, of a larger system called Gnosticism. But, but for the first couple of centuries, first 200 years after Christ, it was, this was a powerful teaching. And John's, Gospels, John, John's gospel and John's letters were written to challenge this philosophy. And that's why John wrote this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, John loves you, God loves you. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2. By this, how are we going to know who a false prophet is? Well, by this, you shall know the spirit of God. He doesn't identify every false prophet. He says, here's what the truth is. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Uh, he was real. He was human. He was all God. He was all man. So what's the test here? The test is Jesus, you have to believe that he is the very God of heaven and that he became fully human to die for our sins. That's the test of whether you're a true prophet or a false prophet. Even today, we sometimes struggle with the humanity of Jesus. You know, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, I don't know what the, you know, the, the writer of that uh, uh, Christmas carol had in mind, but sometimes we get the idea that, that, that Jesus wet his diaper and never cried about it. That Jesus got hungry and never cried about it. You know, hey, how do babies communicate? They cry. How are they going to tell you? They need something. They cry. There's no reason to believe Jesus didn't cry to communicate uh, with, his, with his parents. We sometimes develop this image that Jesus just kind of floated through the world, com completely immune to suffering of humanity. He never felt pain. He never felt sorrow or frustration or anger or temptation. But that isn't the Jesus the Bible talks about. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus knew pain. He felt sorrow. He faced temptation. He experienced anger. He became completely human. When he didn't eat, he got hungry. When he didn't rest, he was tired. When he was cut, he bled. And when his best friend died, one of his good friends died, he cried about it because he was heartbroken. He was fully human. Why is this significant? Well, look at this statement. Christ's humanity is significant because it means that Jesus completely understands us. Don't think that, well, God's way up there. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. Exactly what you're going through. That's the reason you can go talk to him about it because he knows exactly how you feel. He understands us and because he became one of us, he was able to die for our sins. He understands the human experience because he became a human. He knows how it feels to be tempted. He knows how it feels to be rejected. He knows how to, it feels to be alone. He knows how it is to fear the future. Here's what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, right, who has passed through the heavens or has gone back into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast our confession. Since we've, we've got this, this great high priest here, let's hang on to what we got. Let's live, live, live it. Let's not make excuses for it. Let's live it. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows. But he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He'd been through it, but he didn't give in to it. Passage goes on, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the very God of heaven. Not piece of God, part of God. He's all God. Jesus was born as a human being. He is all human. And he has experienced what you experienced and he died for you. And just one more thing here. Number three, he lives among us. He's here right now. He is God with us. Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what is the meaning of Emmanuel? The name Emmanuel means God with us. God is here. Uh, this is more than a Christmas story. This is more than a story about a miraculous birth. The Christmas story teaches us that in Jesus, God is here. He is, he is here uh, in a way that he has never been before. The idea of God being a remote God was done away with at Christmas. The idea that God has to live in a temple or a tabernacle was cast out when Jesus came. He now lives here among us. When the angel explained to Joseph that, it, that his betrothed bride would give birth to Jesus, the Bible explains it with these words. Matthew chapter 1, we've already read a couple of these verses, but verse 21 says, and she, that is Mary, shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, verse 23, behold, the virgin shall, bear, shall be with child and bear a son, give birth to a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is here. One of the last things that Jesus said to his followers before he ascended back into heaven is in Matthew 28, verse 20. He said to them, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of this world as we know it. I will never leave you or forsake you. God with us, that's who Jesus is. With us still, with us today, with us right now. With you every moment of every day. When you stumble out of bed in the morning, God is with you. As you face the stress of a hectic day, wondering what direction to take and whether the world's going to cave in on you or not, God with you. As you face uh, the uncertainty of the future, God with you. As you struggle with loneliness or fear, God with you. As you wrestle with temptation, God with you. He's your constant companion. He's your faithful friend, the one that will never leave you or forsake you because that is his promise both in the New Testament, Old Testament, and in the New Testament. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So what's so special about this little child, one little baby, born 2,000 years ago in a little village, insignificant place in the world, this little village called Bethlehem? Well, he changed the world. It wasn't the same looking forward to him, but certainly has never been the same since. He changed the world, not by establishing a new political ideology. That doesn't change much. And not with a new religious philosophy, but by changing the way God relates to us and the way we, we re relate to him. This little child laid in a manger, made from the elements he created, probably stone, with God in flesh. He sacrificed the outward display of his deity to become one of us. He lived a life of humble obedience, even to the point of dying on the cross because he put us before himself.
And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And he is alive today. He is God with us. The greatest way to experience Christmas begins when you realize this. God came to live in this world so that he could come to live in your heart. God cares about you. God wants to be present in your life every day. We can open up our Christmas presents and watch the movies about the Christmas miracles, you know, and have a good time and then go about our life. Or we can say, God is here. God came to be with me. God cares about me. Young, old, in between, male, female, talented, not talented, whatever it might be. God cares. God is with you. Accept him, receive him, recognize his presence in your life. For God so loved the world, loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal presence of God when you trust Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us today, and I thank you for that. I know that um, we can't comprehend all these things, but we can realize that you're with us and that you love us and that you'll never leave us alone. And all we have to do is believe in our hearts that Jesus is God and that he died and rose from the dead to pay the price of our sins and then confess that to you with our mouths and ask you for the gift of eternal life. We will be eternally yours. Pray for that grace today in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.